0: Ah what got you there with got you got you what got you there with Shine the Laney got to there what got you there with Shine got to there with Shine the what got you there with Shine the Laney
1: we're back for episode 6 of What Got You There and today we're joined by Mike Ritland Mike served 12 years as a US Navy SEAL after his service he founded Triko International Trico specializes in providing private protection canines to government agencies and high net worth individuals. Mike has trained hundreds of working dogs for combat, private protection, military dog training, and police dog training. Mike is also the author of three New York Times best selling books. Mike, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, just curious, you seem like a real go getter. How do you start your day each day? So I start my day
0: uh, basically just getting up, and depending on what's going on training-wise, um, you know my my routine is to get up, drink a couple bottles of water, and uh, then then tackle the the training plan right right out of the gate. Essentially, I mean it's um, you know, at any given time there's there's always something going on here, or usually something going on. So I mean I've got my own my own personal dogs that uh, that I tend to and. No different than anybody else when they first get up. Um, you know the the normal bodily functions and getting dressed and things of that nature. But I, you know I don't have like some you know crazy Bikram yoga spiritual session or anything to to prep my mind for the day. I just uh, I, mean, I pretty much get right into it. I mean the the one thing that I will say that I I find is important and that I do without question is I, I drink a fair bit of water right when I wake up um, you know, and then, and just kind of go throughout the, get, get a couple of dogs out or get my dog out. I uh, usually make, uh, make a cup of coffee and, and, uh, and then go right into the training right this minute. I've got a handbook course going on. that We're doing a lot of tracking and trailing. So I, I'm out the door, you know, within 15, 20 minutes of waking up to go, you know, lay, lay a long, uh, long trail out in the woods and, and then sit there and let the dog come find me. But you know, at any given time, depending on again on on what dog I'm working on or, or whatever, it's that's usually the first thing is is uh, you know from a training standpoint, whatever whatever they do. I one thing I will say I don't ever do first thing in the morning is work out. And I, I always work out later in the day. I know some people get up at, at 4:30 and go lift or or whatever. I I don't ever do that. For me, I I don't ever feel like it. Uh, it goes as well as it does when I am a little more warmed up and, and whatever later in the day. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's about the gist of it. Just that I, I, I don't have anything super sexy or profound in meditation or anything like that. I, I usually just drink water and get right after it.
1: Hey, that's sexy enough for me. <laughs> that, that always works. Uh, were you similar in your sealed days? Kind of took a little while to you'd be an afternoon workout kind of guy or more in the morning during your SEAL days?
0: No, no. I mean, for, you know, my, 12 plus years that i was uh you know in the navy it was you know that was kind of the, the general norm was get up go to work and work out it's the first thing you do um although there it's you know, from the time i woke up until i actually started working out it was usually an hour and a half or two um just because it, you know you you get there and you muster you meet up with everybody talk about the plan of attack for the day and, and then you work out so there's a little bit of the Buffer time or whatever, whereas where I'm at now, you know, I've got my gym in my garage, 15 feet from my bedroom, you know. So uh, there's not uh, not a lot that needs to get done, but before that, but uh, so you know, my time in the Navy is, is dictated largely in terms of what I did and when I did it by uh, by the man. So uh, I think that's that's maybe part of why I don't do it that way uh, <laughs> now is is because it's uh, you know the polar opposite of, of what I had to do. I didn't have a choice, but, uh, yeah, you know, with, with them, it's, uh, you know, you get up and work out first and then the rest of the day, you're, you're staying active and doing things that are pretty
1: similar to that. I got you. So I, I want to go back a little bit. So when you were a kid, what major influence really shaped you becoming a SEAL and who you are today?
0: It was a question. My, my family did, uh, most. Specifically both of my grandfathers were in World War Two. Uh on my mom's side, uh my grandpa there was in the Navy. Um and then on my dad's side, uh, he was in the army. Um and so, you know, both on the European front. My one grandpa was in the Mediterranean and uh, and my other, other grandpa was, was all over Europe but uh you know, listening to them, uh, they didn't tell a lot of stories or talk a lot about it. But uh, I just, I always kind of grew up with a real heavy interest in, in history, uh, most specifically, you know, U.S. history and, and military history. Uh, I was just interested and fascinated by it, and, and was that kind of kid, right? You know, I like hiking and land navigation, and uh, you know, playing guns and shooting slingshots and just to the poor boy stuff, I guess. But uh, but just kind of really got into it you know, my, my immediate family, my, my parents, you know, none, none of my other siblings served me one of my parents did. Uh, but again, it just, you know, for me, it just kind of felt like not necessarily a calling, but just the right thing to do. You know, um, I wanted to, uh, to, to give back or to do something to, uh, to show the the amount of appreciation I had for the country that, that gave me the opportunity to live the way that I did. Um, you know, looking back on it, it's not something that I think is very typical of kids that age to have that type of mentality towards it. It was maybe um, not wise beyond my years, but just you know, my train of thought was a little beyond my years in terms of of how I viewed the world in, in that regard. But uh, yeah, it just it was always a big deal to me to uh, to serve my country and and make the the biggest impact I could make for it uh, in doing so.
1: So you mentioned that was as a kid. What age was that around where you really started to realize that might be your calling?
0: Um, It was in high school.
1: Um, You know, I I had an interest prior to that,
0: mostly just from, uh, you know, liking those types of activities, camping, hiking, et cetera, Uh, when I was a I think as a sophomore in high school, uh, I read an article of Popular Mechanics about the SEAL teams. And, and I, I was a competitive swimmer from the time I was five years old up until I graduated high school. And uh, I could have, could have swam in college and, and ended up not, not wanting to, to join the Navy right out of high school. But, um, you know, so my background in spending a lot of time, you know, in the water and then reading that article and just saying how they at least as far as the, the article is concerned, I'm sure all the other soft forces would would disagree and there's always been a rivalry, but it, it seemed like, you know, they seemed like the most elite of all of the special operations forces because the training seemed to be the longest. And, and uh, again, one could argue the hardest, but, uh, you know, so for me, it just kind of all, all fit together, I was really, really intrigued and inspired and motivated by it. It just seemed like a, a really neat thing to to be a part of and, and uh you know for me it wasn't so much about challenging myself as it was something that I wanted to do. Um, you know, and, and uh and and be be part of something that was that was that elite. Um, you know, and, and looking at the just the percentages of you know eighty percent over there about attrition rate, you know, most people that try it can't make it and you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to be one of those people.
1: I mean, I'd love to get into your mindset. I mean, you mentioned going through the most vigorous training I think there is on this planet with buds and, and how weak. Was there ever a time where you mentioned that, man, I, I might need to quit this? Or was it always, this is my calling. This is what I'm here to do. I'm doing this and making it through?
0: Yeah, no, for, for me, there, there really was never a time where I seriously considered quitting. Um, and, and I think that, that uh, mentality or that process is, is different for everybody and that. Um, you know, I, I've, I've read other you know interviews with other team guys some of them, even friends of mine, you know, I've read other places where like anybody that says I never thought about quitting is, is full of shit. Uh, but I, I really didn't. And I, and I don't say that saying that I'm, I'm better than people that thought that they quit. It's just for, for me, like, yeah, there were a lot of times where I was like, this sucks. I really would rather not be here. Uh, you know, or God, I don't want to be doing this, but the, the thought of, of actually quitting. Really never entered my mind, I mean to me i, I kind of look at it the exact opposite, and that for anybody who really considers quitting generally isn't going to make it you know if that if that enters your mind legitimately um you know from from having been an instructor for for the last three years that I was in um you know I saw a lot of that, and that once once it's in there and that bug is planted you know you 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 always see that that person go to the bill and hang it up but um, you know, so, no, I mean, there there were a lot of miserable times and, and times where I did enjoy what I was doing at, at that moment. It was like, uh, I'd rather be doing just about anything other than this right now. But uh, but no, it, it just never, um, never entered my mind as far as legitimately hanging it up. But, uh, you know, for me, it, it was a matter of this is what I came here to do. I didn't join the Navy for any other reason than this. Uh, and the thought of, you know, calling back home to to my family and saying yeah I, I quit like it just that that shit wasn't happening you know uh, and it wasn't that my dad was overbearing or, or that they put any amount of pressure they didn't it was the exact opposite it was hey you know we support whatever you want to do and let us know how we can help and you know they were very hands-off as far as that goes they didn't push me in any one direction they just were supportive of whatever I wanted to do and and uh, you know, it just for me, it just—I—I I was not going to be calling him and telling him the, that I that I quit. You know, it's one thing if I didn't make it because I just wasn't good enough or I got hurt or whatever. But I—the one thing I damn sure wasn't going to do is, is tell him that I that I quit. You know, so I just kept that mentality the whole way through, took it one day at a
1: time, and uh, and, and managed to come out come out on top. I mean, that's funny. I had a similar upbringing in, in how my parents raised me and, and having the same thoughts you did, so that's just interesting to hear that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned some of the some of the miserable moments, uh, Doran Buds. Was, was there one thing you just absolutely hated more than anything else, whether it be wet and sandy or just the cold, anything in particular? For sure, th-
0: just wet. Um, you know, no, I mean, and and I, and I can say like that, skyrockets to the top above everything else that sucks there for me was was being wet uh, you know wet and sandy but but just the, the wet but like uh, you know it, it gets to the point where I wouldn't say you're scared of the water but you you despise it um, you know and and for years after and, and even to this day, like I don't I don't go swimming. I don't like to go to the beach. I mean there are plenty of, of guys that they get out or they surf in their spare time. Like I was not one of those guys. <laughs> you know, I uh I, I hated hated the water, honestly, after after graduating Buds and, and only went in it when I had to for work and, and I kinda still in that way. I mean I'll swim a little bit occasionally for uh you know for exercise and just, you know, from a low impact form of, of rehab or, or light exercise it's good but uh but i don't particularly like getting in the water i don't like going to the beach you know and, and for that reason it's just you know the, the amount of time you spend fully clothed, soaking wet with salt water and having sand everywhere like it's just it, it's hard to describe how how miserable it was for me you know some people don't buy them as much for me that was my
1: my Achilles heel
0: and what I hated more than anything was being
1: what Sandy It just, uh, God, I hated it <laughs> But Yeah, no, as an outsider I can, I can certainly see why that would lead to you wanting to stay out of the water today Yeah So you grew up in Iowa, correct? Correct So I know there was a pretty monumental moment uh, when you were in high school that kind of impacted your life pretty greatly um, when you were at school with being jumped, any chance you could hit on that at all?
0: Sure. Um, you know, so I mean, the gist of it is that the high school I was in, um, you know, this was, you know, in the early nineties, um, you know, it, there was a lot of racial tension and, and uh, it was a, a, a pretty good sized high school. It was about 2,500 students. And there was a, uh, you know, a pretty even split in terms of the racial breakdown of, of how how it was, and it was just it was a tumultuous time for racial relations in the country in in some aspects, and just you know most specifically there. And uh, you know, it was, it was right around the time of the Rodney King riots, and and there was just you know there was some tension, and uh, and yeah, I got I got jumped by a big group of of guys, and and uh, you know for me that was it was a much more defining moment looking back on it than I realized at the time, not for the reasons that people may be thinking as they listen to it. And that for me, it was the, it was the don't give up, you know, there the was never quit moment, you know, basically, you know, for me and that, um, you know, what happened, I was, I was a freshman. I was, you know, a small freshman. I was five, four, 105 pounds. And, uh, you know, got the shit beat out of me. Um, and I was, I was scared to go back to school, frankly. Um, you know, I remember my dad saying, you know, here's the deal: is that yeah, I can I can go there and handle it, but you know that that doesn't teach you anything. Uh, you know, essentially, you know the the, the Reader's Digest version was you got to grab a hold of your nuts and and take yourself back there and and face what you're scared of and deal with it. You know, I know it sucks. You know, you've got to realize there's not going to always be a safety net, and and you know, you've got to look out for yourself first and foremost because there's not always going to be times where people will, you know, and and you know, the the difference between, um, you, know, you know, you know, the basically the, the John Wayne saying of you know it's all right to be scared, just do it anyway kind of thing is 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 the gist of it is that you know you it's it's all right to be scared, it's not all right to let that. Deter you from doing what uh, what you want to do, what you need to do, you know, what you know needs to be done, and and uh, you know, again, it was a, a very defining moment, character wise, for me. And, and thinking, you know, from now on, I don't care what happens. You got to you got you to gotta nut up and get through it, uh, and and deal with it, no matter what the the consequences are, you know. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a big deal, and, and and still something that I look back fondly on. And I know, you know, at the time, I I wouldn't say I hated him for it, but I was you know, it was kind of a, a WTF moment of like, I'm about a little help here, you know? And, uh, and it was like, no, you know, you, you, you fix it, you know? And, uh, and, you know, I'll never, I would not, wouldn't change it. All. I'll be forever grateful that, uh, that he, you know, gave me a little bit of tough love that way. Uh, and I could, you know, I could tell he was mad. I know he wanted to go, go handle it the same way I would as a father. Now I, you know, putting myself in, in his position that, that it would have been harder to do what he did than to just go deal with it himself. Uh, but, but for sure, that was the right answer and, and the right response. And, and I, you know, again, I'll be forever grateful that, that it went down that way.
1: No, I mean, I really appreciate the honesty, and I, I know my listeners will get a lot out of that. Uh, I mean, you mentioned how much of an impact that had on you, and you really realized that today. Um, how long did it take for you to kind of realize and appreciate what your dad did at that moment? Was it within a year or was it a while after? It was about, it was about 10 minutes. (laughs) No, I,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, it was years, you know, um, you know, because initially I was pissed, um, and then got through it. And then it was just kind of a non-factor. I mean, it, it wasn't until well after high school where I really, you know, could, could gain the, the profoundness of it and, and really appreciate that aspect. Of it. I mean, it was years later, you know, so um, and even, even, you know, part, part of, of what I gathered from that, which was beneficial even in buds of, of being scared of doing things or, or nervous, apprehensive, whatever, um, and doing them anyway at that time, I didn't realize that, that I had gained a lot of that from, from that moment. Uh, But, you know, again, looking back on it now, years later, especially as a father now, I mean, I've been a father for for 12 years, but, you know, it was, it was probably close to a decade later, you know, before I really um, gathered the the gravity of of what he did and how important it was
1: and all of that. Oh, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, So, I mean... This is so selfish uh, for me having you on. Everyone who knows me knows how obsessed I am with dogs. I've got my two Rotties down by my feet right now. Uh, so I'm curious how you transitioned from a SEAL into your work with dogs.
0: Well, for me, it was, you know, the the neat thing about it is it was very, very seamless for two reasons. Number one is the type of dogs that I deal with now and what I do with them, uh, you know, is is very closely related to the type of work that I did in the Navy. Um, And the other thing, too, that's that's really interesting, I think when you explain it, people say, wow, it makes sense. I never really thought of it that way. But I I don't think initially realize the parallels between a good, strong working dog and what it takes to to both select it and train it. And the parallel that exists between the human counterpart of of a SEAL or or police officer or, or any, you know, selective job where you need both genetics drive and good training. All kind of coming together to to give you a finished product that's operating at a high level um and there is there's there are some almost uncanny parallels I mean there you know just about every question that i get asked or, or that you could ask you know about a dog the human answer is is almost always the same thing you know and that you know what, what kind of dogs do you use well the, the short answer is the right ones you know it's, it's the <laughs> ones that genetically have have the tools to do the job and and you know to, to just assume, well, it's a German Shepherd, so he'll be. I can train him to be a good working dog. No, uh, you know, no different than take any two really good athletes that have kids. That's not a guarantee that, that their children are going to be good athletes or you know, brilliant scientists that are going to be smart. You know, there's there's a lot more to it than that. And and uh, you know, the the things that the kind of the big ticket items that I've taken away is that. Um, you know, the, the, the genetics have to be there and they have to be there in a, at a very, very high level without that, you no know, different than, you know, special operations or, uh, you know, world-class athletes is that if you don't have at least, you know, the right genetic tools to do the job, I don't care how much time you put into it and how structured it is and, and how, uh, you know, perfect your training regimen is and your nutrition or whatever is that, you know, to be at that world-class level, you've got to have a good, good genetic makeup uh, or, or you're going to be ramming your head into a wall. Um, and number two is that, uh, you know, once you establish that, then also you've got to stack the deck in your favor, uh, the same way we did at SEAL teams, that's what I, I really draw from in, in the book Team Dog is is that, you know, the, the parallel know not that special operations or SEAL component is that you know, it's not just about being in really good shape or being a phenomenal shot or having really good gear or having the best assets and, and air platforms and and uh, close air air support platforms. It's not just about having world-class, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art technology in terms of intelligence. It's having all of those things you know, that, that work in sync with one another to, to create this finished product. And that. So with the dog thing, it's the same thing in that it's not just about having great training. It's having good genetics. It's about selecting the right dog. It's about proper mental stimulation. It's about proper nutrition, proper medical care, proper proper physical uh, you know, exercise, and, and it's it's all of those things working in synergy or, or in sync with with one another to give you the finished product of a happy, healthy, well-trained, obedient, mentally stimulated dog. It is controlled in any environment, and I think if I had to pinpoint one thing that where people get lost in in translation a little bit about training is that is that they're they're looking very microscopically at uh, at the process and it's well I'm having this one problem with my dog how do I fix it well there's an entire swirling process that needs to take place in sync for you to to get where you need to be um, you know another analogy I like to use is it's kind of like if you don't play guitar and there's one solo that you love and it's like, well, I just want to learn how to play this solo. You know, I, I don't want to learn basic chords and, and scales and, and figure out sweep picking and, and all these other things. I, I just just teach me how to play this solo. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, and that's that's what happens a lot of times with with dogs and dog training is is that they're having one one very specific problem that they say, you know, that I want to fix this. The the way that you fix that is taking about thirty steps back. And going through, through the process that I, that I outline in the book and, and it's my online training, really focusing on, on some of the foundational elements to, to get you there.
1: No, I mean, that's a great analogy and makes it very clear, obviously, uh, for myself and the listeners. When, when you're looking to source a dog besides um, genetics, what's the number one thing you're looking for more from a, a mental thing? Is there something that you need to see out of that dog before you would take it on?
0: You know the the short answer is it depends, and and by that I mean it depends on what, where it's going and what the finished product is, and and you know that has to drive the entire process. Is that you know, and even within say the police dog community, you know, the a dog that I'm going to look for for say a, a federal level hostage rescue group versus you know a, a podunk small department with one dog in you know the middle of Iowa. Um, you know those are two disparately different animals that I'm going to be selecting for for those groups based on you know what's what's the handler experience you know what you know what level of training do they have you know what's their ability to to continue sustain the training what can they handle you know what what is the dog expected to be able to to do in, in the environment it needs to be able to operate in all of those things and so um you know if if it's just a pet you know again you know the the best advice i can give or or the best answer I can give you is that Whatever your finished product needs to be, have have an ideal, you know, in your mind of what that looks like as as complete and as you know specific as you can get it, and then work backwards from that and, and base your selection process off of that. You know, on, on the pet side, it's I'm super busy. I'm a 78 year old woman. You know, that's five foot two and 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 weighs 96 pounds. Um, you know, I really really want a dog. Well, don't get a nine month old Great Dane yet. You know, it, it's it's little things like that. You know, it, it, but it's a lot of people laugh at that examples like that. But it's true. You know, a lot of times people are getting dogs that are terrible fits for them. Uh, you know, in terms of not just what the breed is and, and what the kind of overgeneralization is of, of what that dog brings to the table genetically. Because no different than, than with people, I mean, to, to say, well, this breed is X and this breed is Y, um, you know, it, it's it's a good starting point. But I've seen enough really good and, and bad examples of every breed to, to tell you that, you know, just because it's it's a certain breed doesn't mean it's going to come hardwired with, with everything that the, that the book says it's going to come with. Um, you know, and, and most times it's not, you know, a lot of times it's going to come with things that you didn't realize were there or, or that you hoped weren't there or whatever. And, and there's things that you can do to, to kind of test and select that dog, you know, that, that again, I, I outlined pretty heavy in the team dog book, but, um, you know, and it would take, you know, an hour to, to kind of walk you through it, you know, over the phone right now. But, uh, but it's, you know, the gist of it is, is like I said, is that know know what your, your situation is know what the the competency level of of you and whoever's going to be working with and or handling the dog is uh, and then work backwards from that and understand, you know, what's going to be the best fit for you because it it may not be what you want, Um, you know, and so it's it's better to, to not have a dog than to have a dog in the wrong environment, you know, so...
1: No, I got you, and we're definitely going to have all your books uh, linked up in the show notes and also direct them to your website so they can see some of the videos and uh, get more involved with what you're doing. But, I mean, you work with the top 1% of all dogs, and maybe you can tell us a little bit of what these dogs, once they're done with you, what they're capable of, and then sort of what are some of their elite functions uh, in a unit like the SEALs? Sure. So, you know, the the capabilities of the dogs are, are almost
0: endless, and that. You know, pick any profession that, that we're talking about, uh, and even some that are more non-traditional. Um, there's not a lot that they can't do. Um, there's not really any environment that, that we operate in as, a, as an industry that the dogs can't accompany us and be an asset uh, versus a liability, shy of, of underwater. Um, you know, pretty much everything else is uh, uh, is pretty much fair game, and, and they're gonna they're gonna bring a lot to the table uh, the biggest thing that they bring to the table are the two main components is their nose first and foremost is that you know the, the amount uh, of things that you can train them to detect is almost limitless um you know with their nose and it's and it's just truly remarkable their ability to to discriminate different odors from from other ones you know an example is, is pizza you know you and i smell pepperoni pizza or just pizza in general. You know, a a dog, when it walks into a kitchen with pizza in the oven, can separate with his nose every single separate ingredient, even down to the spices that are in the sauce. Uh, You know, the butter on the crust. I mean, you name it, every single individual component, they can separate all of those. Um, You know, and and in terms of, of the... The sensitivity of it is that you know, imagine an, an eyedropper, you know, in an Olympic-sized swimming pool that you know they can they can smell an, an eyedrop uh, of of whatever target odor you're talking about uh, in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Their, their their noses are that sensitive. You know, it's, it's frankly it's it's impossible. Even even knowing what the what the statistics are as as human beings, we cannot fathom the ability of the dog to smell the way that they do, and and not even close. Frankly, I mean, it's, it might as well be in Greek, but um, you know, and, and it it may seem like like hyperbole almost in in, in giving examples of how, of how sensitive their noses are, but it's really not. It's it's not exaggerated. It's it really is that sensitive. And so, with their ability to be able to do that, you know, there's a lot of things, and this is where it crosses over into the non traditional component, is that there's a number of things that, that you didn't think about. And, and an example is is I uh, say pipeline detection. Uh, you know, looking for leaks. You know, it, it takes human beings with with training and equipment, you know, a hundred times as long to go figure out if pipes are leaking and if they are where they're leaking. You know, with with pressure, you can tell, okay, there's a leak somewhere in this pipeline. You know, a dog with his nose, if you teach them, you know, to to detect the target over, um, you know, natural gas, as an example, and, and a little bit of, of creativeness goes a long way And that natural gas is, is over, so at least to human beings, the the chemical that they add to the natural gas is called mercaptan. Very, very strong odor. It doesn't take a lot to make natural gas smell like it. it smells to us. So you can take to train a dog to, to detect mercaptan, uh, and now you can run that dog along a pipeline, and, and in minutes, find, you know, find uh, where where a leak in a pipeline is. It may have taken hours or even days for five or six human beings to do it. You know, so when you when you take you know, just understand their ability to do what they can do, and, and now you you say, well, the sky's the limit in terms of what, and it's not just narcotics or explosives, you know, or human remains or or search and rescue. It's I mean, it's cell phones, it's bed bugs, it's money, it's uh, you know, I mean, pick anything that you want to find, um, you know, and and figure out what what distinguishing odor that that object has. Teach the dog to find it, and now the sky's the limit they they can find it, you know. So. The the obvious applications as it relates to police and military are are the two that I mentioned, you know, there's narcotics and and explosives. Um, So that's unquestionably the the biggest asset that they bring to the table is that that ability to detect whatever you want them to detect in such a short amount of time using the wind and air movement. Um, and, And they're so mobile and portable that they can get to a lot of places we can't get to. They can go there a lot faster than we can. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot you can do with them there. The second component uh, is, is the apprehension part. You know, their ability to take somebody down, uh, you know, four, five, six times their size. It's not scared of them if they're taught how to do it. And, and again, they have the right genetic component of, of natural forward aggression. You know, you can take a dog and, and teach him and, and condition them to, you know, be able to take down a, a six-foot-four, 230-pound guy that would give three grown-ass men Police officers more than they can handle, and you got this sixty pound dog that goes and takes his ass down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because of their ability to fight so hard and enact so much damage, and and the psychological component of you know of an animal you know attacking you is is a, is a psychological hurdle that a lot of a lot of people can't get over. Um, and having been bit a number of times myself without any equipment on, and, and having to uh, you know, deal with that in, in the same capacity that a, that a suspect or, or whatever would. Uh, I can tell you that it's it's not about toughing it out or uh, you know outmaneuvering maneuvering the dog. I mean, they 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 elicit a, a bite pressure and, and put an amount of damage on you sufficient to where it's it's not a decision in terms of of whether or not you're going to fight the dog. It's a it's a natural you know reaction to try to minimize damage and keep the dog from injuring you even further. You know, it's not different than slamming your finger in a car door. You know, you're not toughing that out. You know, it, it will buckle your knees and, and cripple you. You know, that's that same kind of kind of pain and, and damage that they have the ability to, to inflict on you. If, if, again, if, if you've got the right genetics and, and the proper conditioning and training. So, you know, with those those two main components, you know, um, on, the, on the working side, there's a lot you can do with that. You know, obviously, militarily, you know, being able to find people that are hidden that are trying to ambush you or find, you know, IEDs or explosive caches, et cetera. Uh, on the police side, you know, barricaded suspects, uh, you know, that are in areas that humans can't even get to. the dog can run in there, grab them and drag them out uh, or make them submit or or uh, surrender. Um, you know, the, the deterrent aspect of just having a dog there will make most people give up. You know, and I've seen it a million times where a guy will be standing there with five armed police officers, guns drawn, pointed at him, and he's yelling, arguing with him and, and fighting with him. You get a little 65-pound man, while comes out and starts barking, <laughs> and the guy lays face down and says, I'm not fighting that dog. You know, and, and you see it a lot, and then for good reason. You know, it's it's not because there's a bunch of urban legend and myth. It's because enough people have had their asses eaten bad enough by these dogs to where you know people in those circles understand what what they can do and, and how they do it and, and they want no part of that you know so um you know they're just they're they're truly remarkable animals and, and uh you know the capabilities they break the table
1: is, uh, is pretty spectacular yeah no they truly are remarkable and I, I just love hearing some of these stories um i know one dog you worked with in particular uh i wanted to hear a little bit more um arco yeah do you have any story about him just so the listeners really know in a real world scenario, how truly magnificent these creatures are? Sure. So the, the story that's in my, my first book, um, you
0: know, it's about him that, uh, that I can share is, is just, a, you know, kind of a textbook example of, of the remarkability of, of these dogs and that, uh, you know, the gist of it was they're on, on a target location. And, uh, you know, there was a not known at the time. There was a, a guy barricaded in, sandbagged into the corner of a room with a with a machine gun, waiting for for the element to come through the door and, and open up on him. And uh, they sent the dog in to to search ahead of time. And and again, dogs use their nose to find people in, in these in these buildings and targets. Um, in conjunction with their eyes, but primarily they're finding you know where they're at with their nose. And so anyway, the dog. Comes flying through the through the door and, and rounds the rounds the corner, gets the jump on the guy and manages to to not only you know beat him to the punch, but but gets in on him and and grabs a hold of his left bicep up up, up towards the armpit and you know just buries his molars deep into him, starts to take him down, and, and the guy was not able to get to the, the belt-fed heavy machine gun that was sandbagged ready to open up, but had a had a slung AK-47. Swung it around and managed to get one round off point blank in, in the dog's chest. Uh, went out through his shoulder, uh, missed his heart, but uh, but you know, perforated one of his you know, one of his lungs and, and went out through his shoulder. The dog didn't let go of the guy. Uh, you know, kept kept going down and didn't, and brought him all the way down, kept him from being able to shoot anymore, and subdued him until the team could come in and, and take care of the rest. So, um, you know, that dog uh, was was. Evacuated out of there, was stabilized locally, and then life collided to, you know, bounced a couple different spots, ended up finally back at the, at Lackland and, and was rehabbed for several months and then did, uh, I believe, two more deployments after that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just a real testament to, one, their their efficacy, you know, had, had an element of guys come through that door. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, several of them probably would have lost their lives. Um, you know, and so you know their ability to, to neutralize threats that uh, that humans can't, uh, even to a degree in which that not only they're protecting humans, are protecting themselves. And a lot of times, in cases like that, they're not getting shot. You know, they're getting a jump on them and managing to neutralize that threat before they even get get hurt themselves. You know, so um, you know, we we had the pleasure of, of that was you know one of the two first. Dogs uh, with the Warrior Dog Foundation that we received back in 2010 uh, when we first started it. And, uh, you know, it's just an absolute honor to have a dog of of that caliber and that stature and and experience. The thing that 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 dog has done for a number of of teammates of mine uh, that are here today solely because of that dog existing and operating in the capacity that that they can and do. So uh, it's just pretty amazing, very humbling to, to be able to take care of them and, and, uh, and be a part of their, of their life after service, but uh, and just, just amazing
1: animals. Yeah. No, the first time I, I read that story just sent chills down my spine and just had the same chills when you were telling it again. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, the warrior dog foundation?
0: Sure. So, you know, it started with Adam. and that, you know, the first couple dogs, they just, uh, you know, they were of the temperament and, and experience to where they couldn't be, adopted out into just, you know, handler's homes or, or into a normal civilian environment. And, and uh, there was a need to, to take them to avoid them being euthanized. And, and uh, so I just I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take them and did and, uh, and it. And then from that point on, uh, I wouldn't say the floodgates opened, but to a certain extent, if they did, and that, you know, a lot of other units started sending dogs that, you know, were in the same capacity. It just wasn't uh, any any good resources for dogs like that, you know, that needed experienced people to to handle them in, in a in a facility that can accommodate dogs like that. Um, and so we just started doing it, and um, and you know, here we are, almost seven years later, and have taken in dozens and dozens of these dogs. Um, you know, it initially started out with just special operations dogs, uh, primarily from my background. Um, but we've taken in a number of police dogs, contract working dogs, even some regular military working dogs, um, you know, dogs with extenuating circumstances that, you know, have have served and in, in are in a position where they're gonna be euthanized if, if somebody like us doesn't take them. And so uh first and foremost we act as an indefinite sanctuary for dogs like that a retirement home where we just let them be a dog, they run around the, the acres and the hundreds of acres that we have all around the ranch. Uh, and they get you know a good good raw diet, uh, good food, lots of exercise, and, and no pressure on. They just they get to unwind and be a dog, and, and uh, get all the stressors of of working uh, taken off of them. They just get to enjoy their life uh, first, and we uh, rehab them. Uh, and each one has kind of a different program that they're on, depending on what what they're showing us and what they need. Um, and then from there, we just continue to rehab them until they either find we either find a home for them to be able to retire them out to, or they just pass on naturally. But you know, it's a, it's a no-kill facility that uh, you know that we um, you know do our best and, and and try to take every dog in that we can, and and have been successful thus far in being able to and not having to uh, you know to put put any of them down because of their temperament. So have had. Uh, a handful of them pass uh, or had to be put down due to due to medical requirements years after they've been here, uh, but but none of them because they were too much dog or or they just you know we couldn't deal with them more or anything like that. So uh, you know that that to me is is an important aspect of it is you know these dogs have served and and saved a lot of our guys uh, lives and to me uh, we we owe it to them to, to give back and be a place for them to, to ride out to pasture as it were.
1: Yeah, you, know, you guys have done some unbelievable work with the Warrior Dog Foundation. So I definitely want to make sure uh, my listeners get involved with that. So we'll make sure we link up everything with that as well. Um, so just kind of a few more here. Um, what has been your biggest failure while working with a dog? Have you ever pushed one too hard um, that kind of went the wrong way? Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the, the hardest um, but strongest lessons I learned which
0: you know is a big reason why my training methodology is such uh, now is because there was a dog, it was a dog that I bred. He was about uh, thirteen, fourteen months old, and was really, really strong and, and mature and, and advanced for his age. And, and physically, he was also very big for his age. And uh, and I just I, I was too hard on him too early and, and pushed him too hard too fast and, and completely ruined it. Uh, to where he, he was essentially useless as a working dog because of, of my impatience and, and lack of um, ability to to really understand how to communicate what I was trying to, to get out of the dog, you know. So, um, you know, for me, that was a very, very painful, hard lesson learned. I, I ended up just giving the dog away to, uh, to a rancher here local in the area. And the good news is, is you know, he's, just a happy farm dog that's you know mm-hmm. that's running around, but he, he should be on the street and he's not because I, I ruined him, you know. And, and for me, that was a, it was emotionally painful, uh, you know, for me to to have learned that and, and know that I, I did that to him basically, and it was too hard on him. And because of that, you know, I I changed uh, the psych the psychology of of the dog and, and changed his temperament and changed his mentality because he was at a very impressionable age and. Uh, you know, so for me, you know, it's, while it was a very painful and hard lesson learned, is one that um, you know has been extraordinarily beneficial in terms of all of the other dogs that I've worked with since then. And not only not making that same mistake, but really using um, you know positive reinforcement as, as a primary staple in terms of, of how I communicate with dogs and how I train them now, and, and how that's without question my my primary mode of. Of how I train them, I still, you know, I I do operate all all four quadrants of operant conditioning. I I don't, uh, you know, I'm not a a positive only trainer, uh, but I'm a majority uh, positive trainer in terms of eighty five ninety percent of the time. I'm in that that one quadrant. But just like with you know any other aspect of life, kids coaches with their athletes, students with their uh, with their teachers, or teachers with their students rather. Um, there has to be consequences, and, and, and everybody has to understand that, that. In some instances, there are, uh, you know, and, and it's just all really in, in about how you communicate it and, and looking at the dog through through the dog's perspective. You know, it doesn't matter what you and I think. What matters is how the dog perceives it all. So if if there if there is a, a miscommunication, it's not because the dog doesn't get it or it's not the dog's fault If the dog doesn't get it it's because we haven't communicated it to them to them properly so you know it's, it's a big big lesson learned with Atlanta
1: yeah it seems like there's a lot of parallels uh with that story and then also the one you mentioned earlier about uh your time in high school and when you were jumped and then your dad making you take the reins for that and it seems like those two moments really shaped uh where you're at today so thank you for being uh let my listeners kind of hear a little bit more about that. That was great to hear there. Oh, absolutely. Um, so just a few final questions here. Uh, so my, uh, my brother-in-law who's been a huge fan of yours for years, uh, he wants me to ask besides a dog, what's your favorite home defense weapon? My favorite home defense weapon. Yep. Um, I mean, right off the top of my head, I'd have
0: to go with a shotgun. Uh, but again, it's, there's, there's a little bit of dependence on, on what the environment of your home is. Um, you know, where, like where I'm at, as an example, you know, uh, a rifle is, is a good one also because of, you know, you'd have to see the property, but it's, it's you know, pretty wide open. Um, you know, and so the, the chance does exist that you may get into, uh, you know, and, and obviously this isn't a likely scenario. You know, if somebody's kicking your door in and it's inside your house, hands down a shotgun. Um, you know, there's there's just, to me, there's nothing better than that for, for that type of environment. Um, but I would also say a close second is just a, a pistol that you're very, very competent with, with a really bright light on it, uh, it is a close second. You know, and, and I would also throw into that, uh, that component or, or into that example a, a light on the shotgun also. Um, but, you know, it, it, for, for me, um, I mean, I, I have one within arm's reach uh in several places <laughs> in my house as well as multiple dogs but um you know but uh yeah it, to me you can't you can't really beat a, a good old Remington ten eight seventy express shotgun with uh I I actually like nine shot and, and not deer slugs but uh or, or double out or triple out or, or single out or whatever right? uh looking at FBI statistics actually nine shot ballistically is is uh the go to go to shell in, in my book.
1: No, that was great. And I, I can't imagine too many people would be uh, trying to break into your house with, uh, with everything you have going on in your background. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, no, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, how can my listeners connect more with you? Like I mentioned, we'll link up uh, all your websites and the books and the show notes, but anything you want them to be aware of. Sure. Just, uh, you know, for, in terms of training, the
0: MikeRitland.com uh, website is, is the online training, which, uh, which I encourage. You know, it's, it's for everybody. It's not just, you know, handlers or, or professional canine professionals. It's, it's for your average, everyday dog owner. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of a big component in terms of what we have going on and following all the different things we're doing. Just, you know, Mike Ritland on, on Facebook or uh, at M, at M Ritland with uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, they're all kind of kind of related in terms of some of our content, but uh, but all those social media channels are are the way to do it. Um, Tricos dot com is is the, uh, the my my business website in terms of what we have going on with that personal protection dog dog training et cetera. Uh, and then uh, WarriorDogFoundation.org dot org is uh, is the foundation website, and, and I encourage people to check that out and help spread awareness and and
1: uh, help us out if you can yeah we'll certainly drive some traffic that way but uh mike i can't thank you enough for your service to our country uh what you're doing now with warrior dog foundation um and just everything you're throwing out there so thank you so much it was great talking with you and i'm looking forward to continuing to follow you it's my, my pleasure and i appreciate you having me on talk to you soon what got you there with shonda Uh
0: what got you there with shonda laney what got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you?
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There? If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.